Welcome back to the podcast. Do 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 do. This is Divine Dingo, and I am Ashley Hayden. Do 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 do. Ba da da da. Ba. Oh wow! Thank you so much for that intro. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Hold your applause. Wow. Welcome back to the podcast, my sweet, sweet skeletons wrapped in skin with eyeballs and personalities. How are you? I always ask you that. You do answer. And then I always follow it up with the fact that you can't hear me, but who am I to say that you can't hear me in this moment that I am recording it? You can hear me uh, in the future, in my future, in your present. Why do I always try to tear this constraint of time apart in a simple intro into an hour-long interview? It's like, we don't have time for all of my ramblings. And it's like, every time I listen to a podcast, I usually skip the intro. I'm like, yeah, 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 we get it. I read from the title of the episode who you're interviewing. I'm excited. I don't need to listen to you talk. So why did I choose this format? I don't know, but I'm doing it. And... I'm more or less committed now. So here we are. Feel free to skip ahead. This is nonsense. You're already listening to the podcast. And, you know, you picked a really great episode because this week on the pod, I interviewed Nancy Miarelli, and she is so easy to talk to. I had such a great time interviewing her. She is an entomologist living in Ecuador. And before the pandemic, she was offering guided tours through various parts of Ecuador. You can find out all the information about that on her website at cybugs.info. But she is a entomologist, an entomologist, like I said, and right now she is doing like gamified education, which is really cool. And it sounded to me like something I had no idea what it was. But when she broke it down in the beginning of the the episode, it was like learning through games, essentially. So we talk a little bit about that. Uh, She basically just guided me through a world of insects that I had some hesitation about that maybe you have some hesitation about. But her energy is contagious. Her passion is contagious. I am so much more excited about the little insects running around in the world now more than I ever was. And, you know, I I always had like an interest in them, but an interest in like, are you going to murder me with your tiny fangs? And I did just openly ask her, I'm like, Nancy, is this bug, is this earwig going to kill me? And, you know, she said no. And I feel like I could hear like a, um, a gentle roll of the eyes, <laughs> a roll of the eyes with love because Nancy is a delightful person, but also it's just like, this is her work. And, uh, anyways, we go through, uh, her giving a little bit of background information about how she got into her love of bugs and insects. Um, I never did ask her what is the correct term bug or insect, all of the things. Anyways, this is a great conversation. Probably one of my best interviews. Uh, I think Nancy's energy is just that helpful. And it lifted up the entire hour-long conversation. So please, without any further bizzing and buzzing around in the insect kingdom, please welcome Nancy Miarelli. have always really liked bugs. I just didn't know that I liked bugs and I didn't know that studying bugs was like a thing. So I had actually started working with birds and for my senior year of my biology degree. And the best day ever was when I fell in a swamp trying to catch a dragonfly. And I was like, you know, maybe I can like actually just do this. And I went to Australia because I grew up in Connecticut. So it's cold and our bugs aren't very big. And then I went to Georgia. I was like, oh my God, these are the biggest bugs I've ever seen. And then I went to Australia and I was like, wow, I lied. These are the biggest bugs I've ever seen. And they're just kind of like solidified my love for them. I had met another entomologist 
And she was doing outreach and education with these insects. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Okay. That's what I want to do. And so I applied for my master's degree at the University of Georgia. And I started out working on P. aphids and gut endosymbionts, and then later switched to kind of more of an education and slash like outreach masters. That's kind of of like the short of it. (laughs) And then now you are living in Ecuador. And from what I have learned about you you, before pandemic, you were doing um, like insect and personalized ecological tours in Ecuador. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So after I had got my master's, I realized that as much as I thought that I had wanted to be a professor, the just academia really wasn't the place for me. So I fixed that problem by quote unquote, running away to the rainforest until I figured it out. And I volunteered in an eco lodge doing kind of what I do now, except just at an at an eco lodge, like showing people around, telling them about the bugs and I was like, this is actually really awesome. I wonder if I can make this a thing. And after a couple of friends had visited me and they're like, you're so good at planning my trip. Like you knew exactly what I wanted. You brought me to all the places that I could have wanted to see. They were like, you should actually do this. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll try. So <laughs> one day I just like, put on Twitter, I was like, come to Ecuador. I guess I'll show you the bugs, question mark. And I got a few people who were interested and like signed up. And I was like, all right, I guess that's what I do now. So yeah, it kind of morphed into... A personalized tour focused on ecology, entomology, and conservation, but with a lot of local culture. So, you know, having a well-rounded experience is kind of the goals of that. Obviously, that isn't happening in 2020 (laughs) for Mm -hmm. reasons. So I started really focusing on my YouTube channel and also doing gamified entomology workshops. And I just finished up the last project of that. The students actually made a card game. They took real insects, they took their chemical biology and made a playable card game out of it. So that just got sent to the printer. Yay. So I'm really excited to see that. Wow, that's really cool. You said it's gamified? Um, So yeah, they're gamified. So instead of being like, here's an assignment, you get an A or you fail. I mean, we're all adults. I'm not teaching college. Uh, You are encouraged to play along and like watch the videos. There's like secret content that's hidden that you can find. You earn badges and those badges give you points. And those points allowed you to build stronger arthropods in the card game. So that's kind of how I guess I guess in the industry would say like bribed the students to want to do the work. But, you know, if you look at any kind of video game, they use basically a kind of badging or insignia or like progress bar method to get you to kind of go through and play the game. So we try to take some of the psychology behind gaming and implement it into a workshop. So that way it felt like it felt fun. It wasn't like, I'm just going to learn stuff to learn stuff. I'm like, you know, like I get to find secret content and I get to like build stronger bugs. And I thought it, I thought it went really well. Like the students got really into it. Yeah, well, I guess for me personally, I learned so much better through play and through hands-on learning. Like I have a really hard time kind of like sitting and getting talked at or like sitting through a lecture as much as I would like love to be the type of person that can just absorb all the information from lectures. I really do the best like playing. And I think that that like, I mean, it goes into just like my personality type, but also I do believe that I've spent past lives as an animal. And so like when I just kind of like allow myself to just fully um, dive into just like, oh yeah, I was probably a golden retriever in like five of my past lives. Of course I like to play. And so who knows, maybe you're teaching like a bunch of uh, used to be golden retrievers and they're like, yes, give me a game to play and I will become an insect master. Right. I think there's just a lot of research that shows that people in general just learn better by playing and by doing like that's why games are so addictive in some ways. And that's why, you know, pushing Facebook like buttons and like hearts and like watching the numbers climb like that. There's all solid research psychology behind all of that. And My friend who helped me with the course, she's working, she's getting her PhD in like gamified education. So taking those same principles of like what makes them fun, like why we want to get to that next step, why we want to see that progress graph and why we want to play, like all of those things and implementing it into a learning setting. So that way we do get people like you who normally might not do as well in a lecture setting still 
learning, still wanting to take in the information. And because it's gamified, you have multiple paths of reaching the same result. So your learning path may be completely different than someone else's, but you still come out with the same information at the end of the day. So isn't that really what all that matters? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say so. Um, have you, with your tours that you give, do you um, invite a certain level of play when you're when you're going through the areas that you're um, giving the tour and then like looking for the bugs? Or can you just explain a little bit about like what the tours look like? I'm assuming that like you add like an element of play. So one of the things I do to make it personalized is I send out a uh, like a questionnaire that asks you how you like to travel. Because some people are like, yeah, I like walk up a trail and that seems good enough for me. And some people are like, give me a machete. I'm going to like hack my way through the jungle. And both of those are an option. <laughs> so um, there's always like an element of doing – I'm a, like I'm a child. Ecuador is like a sandbox to me. You cannot get bored here. It's like, oh, you want to see fossils? Oh, yeah, we'll just go to the fossil bed and dig fossils out of the, the, the rock. That's fine. Oh, you want to like explore through the jungle? All right, well, here's a machete. Try like not to hurt anyone. We'll stay really far away from you and have fun. Just like hack through – like we're going in that general direction. One of my favorite tours is there's bioluminescent plankton in the mangroves. And so we go out in the middle of the night and just like splash around and like, like hit each other with bioluminescent plankton water. Like, <laughs> and even just walking through the cloud forest, even if you're just on a normal trail, it's like, how many things can you possibly see? You're in the most biodiverse region. You look up, there's birds. You look in front of you, there's crazy weird plants. You look at the ground, there's crazy weird insects and everything in all of those different levels. So yeah, I just really much in invite people to come and just have fun in, in the place that we're at. Wow. That's really it's such a creative way to get people comfortable with something that they might hesitate to be, to, to find interest in, especially when it comes to like insects and bugs, because like as a, at least a society in the States, um, the way that I was raised is like, I was almost taught to freak out when I see a bug. And so then to like have somebody like you who's so confident and also so educated to be a guide into, I mean, even the rainforest is an intimidating place as I'm sure that yeah. you I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You seem like you're such a, like a courageous person, but like, you know, I'm from like Virginia right now. I live in Oregon on the, the West coast, but it's like, I think Oregon is like, um, technically rainforest. Um, but it's like such a different mm -hmm. climate than obviously like what you're dealing with. Um, so, and it's like so much less intimidating out here because I mean, I, I guess it's just like in your backyard. I don't know. I guess it's just because it is in the States and um, my like American ignorance, uh, like it, my education is kind of limited to what is outside of the States. Um, and so I guess that brings me to the question, like, why did you pick Ecuador to, to live, um, rather than other places in the world and what like really brought you to Ecuador? Yeah, I, I like to say that Ecuador chose me and I didn't choose it, but when I was studying for my master's, my, uh, advisor, she ran an Ecuador timber broad program. It was a three-week program, and you brought students into the jungle to learn about bugs. And to me, that's like the best way to learn about things, right? I've seen so many things here that I've read about in a textbook. And you, know, you have your textbook in hand, and you look at you're like, wow, like that's what it actually looks like. That's the thing. There it is. I found it. And I think just giving students that experience and also now my clients that experience is really amazing and I don't know it's just like ah, I just like love it it gives me the goosebumps when that happens they're like oh, I read about this anyway so I was doing that trip I went on that trip for three years in a row and that's when I like I realized that I didn't necessarily want to do academia so the eco lodge that we had visited or one of the eco lodges that we had visited I literally just emailed them after after I graduated and was like, hi, do you want an entomologist for like a little bit? I can, you know, give presentations about bugs and do night walks with people and, um, and be your, be a bilingual person in the lodge. And, uh, maybe you could feed me and maybe we could strike a deal. <laughs> and so they said yes. And what was supposed to be six months of just volunteering in Ecuador ended up being like two years. And then I was like, ah, yeah, I actually really like it here. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay here. So 
Um, yeah, so it was just kind of chance. I knew people who were here. I knew a place that was safe and I loved the rainforest. So it just worked out. Um, with the, the types of, of insects and bugs that you see in, uh, the climate of like that rainforest that you are working in, in Ecuador, how does that compare to the bugs that you would find, like, say like in Connecticut, like how, how much do they vary based on, um, the climate? Is that like such a broad question? No, it's actually not. It's actually one of the reasons why I really, really love studying insects so much. If you study birds, they'll be like, here are the birds for your area of North America species. Here are the birds for like California. Here are the birds for, I don't know, eastern half of Australia. But with insects, just because there's so many, like there's 10,000 bird species worldwide and there are 20,000 species of butterflies to like comparison. So you can't just learn species. Only people who are working in very, very, very specific groups will learn like their species in that group. So you end up just learning generalized families. You end up learning like these are horse flies and these are Dobson flies and these are you know, this species of scale or this group of scale insects, and this is this group of butterflies. And those families you can find all over the world. So one of my favorite things actually is some of the presentations I do. It's like, here, we went out in the forest and we saw this crazy biology happening right out here. But if you look at this very similar species in this same group that lives in your backyard, it's literally doing the exact same thing. Yeah, our bugs are like a little bit bigger sometimes depending on the species, but not always. But for the most part, like a scarab beetle in Ecuador looks like a scarab beetle in Africa, which looks like a scarab beetle in Europe, which looks like a scarab beetle in the States. So I think it's a really cool way when you're talking about insects to kind of make the world a little bit smaller and also not make the rainforest so scary. Like as you were mentioning earlier, a lot of people do come and are a little bit hesitant of the crazy bugs of the crazy forest, but then you're like, Oh, here's a millipede. It looks like the millipedes that you have at home. is just slightly bigger. You can pick it up. You can touch it. Now we're back into that play thing. You can pick it up. You can touch it. You can observe it. And all of a sudden, I feel like so many walls just kind of come crashing down. As you see, you kind of like break through. You see the gears of the ecosystem underneath working. And I think that brings us all a little bit closer together. She says, as if the world was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that everybody has their their like blueprint or like uh, I almost call it like a stamp of energy that we're all given at birth that we come into. And like we have a purpose and that could be like, Uh, moving from like one purpose to another, to another, to another, and maybe like accomplishing numerous things in your life or just like really setting your sights on one thing and pushing through with that. And so everybody has like a different energy. And so um, just working at like getting people outside and getting people in a place where it's like, they already show a little bit of interest. They're like, Hey, they reach out to you. Like, I want to come down to Ecuador. I'd love to, um, go on a tour with you. I want to learn about this. This is my comfort level. And then you have that, I already have that trust in that person. They might be still be a little bit hesitant, but then you can, like you said, add that element of play in, and then they, they become comfortable with something that they hadn't even really like entertained in their day-to-day mind. Like, Oh, this millipede, is not scary. Like maybe I, when I was a kid and I had a different experience with it and I had a different perspective of it. And so it's like having somebody like you that has that confidence, has that passion. And also you have that education. I can only, I mean, I am like, I'm almost like imagining myself coming down for a tour and then like becoming so much more comfortable with uh, things that might be outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, like, especially with insects and bugs. And I think I, when I was watching your, um, one of your videos, it was your interview or your presentation, I guess, at DragonCon and about how you and your partner were talking about how media and how, uh, has like taken bugs and made them into like aliens and robots and creepy things and video games and movies and, and what have you. And it, and it does kind of like subconsciously seep in that these things, if we were to come across something that we saw in a movie, oh, and it's in my backyard, holy shit, that must be dangerous. It must be scary. It must be bad. And like how that, like that must be so frustrating for people like you that just love insects and bugs and love to educate people. And kind of like you said, break down those walls of this is a safe place and look, I can pick it up and I can put it on my face and it's fine. Um, Society has kind of made you believe that it's intimidating. And 
I mean, I, I guess I just wonder like why, I guess, is it just for the special effects? Is it just for the scare factor that we've like almost vilified the bugs and the insects because our entire ecosystem is, uh, survives on just the little work that each species does day to day. And so I just, it's, it's kind of like even frustrating for me. I can't imagine how frustrating it is for you for like these beautiful um, beings that you've studied to just be like vilified by society. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you brought that up because literally in my YouTube feed the other day, I think it was like a thumbnail from the bright side and it was like, never touch this beetle. You don't know what will happen. It was a picture of a Harlequin beetle. And I literally have a picture of a Harlequin beetle sitting on my face. I'm like, <laughs> So I mean, I put a I put a thing on Twitter that was like crazy, scary YouTube tactic thumbnail. And it was like a picture of me with the same insect like on my face. So, yeah, it's really, really frustrating. It seems to be a lot cult of culture as well. So if you look at Japanese culture, um, I really like anime and video games and I really like JRPGs. But a lot of times in those and insects show up predominantly and are important story plots or just kind of more respected. Like they aren't presented in these big, scary things. They're kind of more like, oh, these, this thing is cool. A good example of that is Pokemon. Like there's so many cool bug Pokemon. And like uh, the creator of Pokemon, I can't remember his name right now, was talking about how he, as a boy, really loved collecting bugs and was sad that people in the city didn't have that experience. And so that's why he made Pokemon was to give like kids in the city the experiment experience of like going out and catching bugs and catching and like learning about different animals. So it really is a cultural thing. Even here in Ecuador, if you go down into the rainforest, people don't really care about bugs as much as people in the United States do. There, When I show a cool bug on Instagram, I'll get a lot of people, especially if it's big, be like, oh, that's so badass. Like that's so cool. That's so big words like that. Whereas when I'll talk to Ecuadorians, they'll be like, oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's marvelous. And just the language that people use around it is very different. So why in the States do we have this? I'm not really sure. I think a lot of it is that we've been kind of, um, we vilify insects so much, like they get into our space and we don't necessarily like that. We don't have a lot of experience with them outside of that space. And mammals are really easy for us to connect to. They're fluffy. They have big eyes. They're like closely evolutionarily related to us. So I don't know. I guess there's like something that we're like, oh, yes, big mammal eyes. Very cute. But when you get down to something like an insect, like they're so small, you're so used to seeing them so far away, like they have too many legs by some people's opinion. <laughs> they are... Um, you know, they have like these big horns and these big decorations and they just look weird. And if you are making a movie and you need to create something, it's way easier to base your monster off of a thing that already exists than it is to like somehow design a whole new thing. Like look at Star Trek. Why are a lot of the aliens humanoid? Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. They should probably look like something else. But what would that something else be? And then you start getting into things that live in ecosystems that are far from us. So you get into deep sea fish and like octopi octopuses and, you know, animals like that. And then even more close, more close home would be these terrestrial arthropods that just have these weird extensions, eyes that we can't really connect with and all these legs. And plus they can fly with an extra set of wings. It makes sense how just kind of naturally that happened. So I guess I understand how it came to be. I just wish like, I don't know, crazy alien looking bug things were like the heroes of a movie maybe and not necessarily the thing that you've gunned down the, the first minute that you see it. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like that it all started with, I mean, being inspired by something that these uh, like creators saw in nature. They're like, oh, this like, I mean, I guess I'm just going to use like praying mantis has like the structure of this praying mantis has inspired me to maybe like help create a character in this sci-fi movie that I'm so that I am like making. And so it's just like it started as nature inspiring me and then like. Yeah, then we add the aspect of like, now the the praying mantis alien creature is going to eat your children. And then it's just like, <laughs> right. okay, well, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, specifically with praying mantis, I would love to ask you about this. This just came to my mind. Um, I s saw videos online of praying mantis killing hummingbirds. Is this yeah. real? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think it was documented, officially documented, for the first time pretty recently. I remember a lot of those news articles coming out when I was in grad school. And yeah, they can. It's not common, but they definitely can do it. And they're not the only arthropod that will take down and eat vertebrates. There's this giant water bug that can eat small snakes and turtles. It's just at a certain point, as like as birds and sometimes even frogs and stuff get smaller and smaller and smaller and there's big insects, it doesn't really matter that one's a vertebrate and one's an invertebrate. It's just like size and one is meat and one is a predator and you know, nature's going to do what it's going to do. And you can definitely see that. Um, I have a lot of people talk or ask me about that because in the States, right, bugs tend to be small and vertebrates tend to be big. But when you mm-hmm. come to Ecuador, there's a hummingbird that's literally the size of a bee. It's called the bee hummingbird. It's so tiny. And these two, two to five inch mantises can very easily just grab them out of the air. Um, like frogs here in Ecuador. Yeah, we have big frogs, but we also have frogs that are the size of my pinky nail. If you have a big spider, it's going to eat that frog. It just is. So it's not as uncommon as you might think it would be, especially when you start getting into slightly different ecosystems. But yeah, in the States, the Chinese mantis can definitely take down smaller hummingbirds. I had to like control the urge to just like make a squealing sound, just me imagining like a frog the size of my pinky nail and then like a hummingbird bee. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they're adorable. Yeah. (laughs) You can see them both on my tours. Shameless plug. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Go get a tour with Nancy in Ecuador. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, I think I've talked about this with one of my other guests. It's just how like, Disney um, has made uh, like certain like I think for instance just like um, I'm thinking of bears right now we've uh, Disney has taken numerous different animals um, but like made them so cute like given them like these big Mm -hmm. eyes and then like these obviously like they're talking they have these personalities and they'll have these backstories and then I feel like it's almost like misled people to believe that there is a way to um like uh oh, like be accepted f- with a bear you know it's like we all know about like the grizzly man right and it's yeah. like as much as i i fundamentally believe that like there is a way to connect with all like creatures and beings and animals and in, in the world i do also believe that there's like a level of respect that you have to have and Definitely. it's like there's a different it's it's just like when we talk about like different cultures with humans it's like it's a different way of life it's a different looking at like respect and what is a meal and survival and it's like animals are just like they are like tuned to the frequency of survival whereas like humans Mm -hmm. like we are so catered to that we're not tuned to that frequency and so um and I think like that's part of the reason why when you were saying like um, w- talking about how small like that frogs, the frogs with the, the uh, pinky nail and the hummingbirds, like I immediately go to like a Disney cuteness level in my mind, you know, uh-huh. and it's like I'm like I'm 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 torn because it's like I'm happy that like I can find those things so cute. But at the same time, it's like has it taken a certain level of respect for that creature like away from me because we've made it into like this cute character that like loves to build dresses for princesses or something, you know? Yeah. It's weird. Um, I try and tell people a lot. Like, I really like when people think insects are cute. I often, when I'm showing people, I'm like, oh, look at this millipede. Look at how cute it is. It, like, got a little bit scared, so it curled up into a little ball. Like, don't you feel bad for it? Because that empathy really helps us connect to these animals that I think is otherwise, especially with insects and arthropods, hard to emotionally connect with. So when you can talk about its behavior and you can say, this is why it's doing this thing, or look at, oh, I accidentally startled it. It curled up into a ball, like wait a minute for it to, you know, kind of, you know, reanimate itself and realize everything is okay. It just helps people connect to them. And then they start asking me about other behaviors. Oh, well, why do why are wasps aggressive? Why do they just sting me for no reason? Is usually the next question. And it's like, no, they're not just stinging you for no reason. You probably got too close unknowingly to their nest and you didn't know the signs to look out for. That happened to me when I was a kid too. And now that I've studied entomology, I know that the wasps, we, they make a sound. If you get too close, 
And if you get even closer, they'll like throw their wings up and look angrily at you. And then if you keep getting close, they'll fly a few at you to be like, hey, like go away. And if you're still there, then they'll sting you. But I think people don't really think about them having a behavior like this and just connecting them be like, they're actually really scared of you. Look at this tarantula who you think is really scary. Look at how it curled all its legs in because it doesn't really want to be near you or look at how this millipede curled up or like look at how these wasps tried to warn you first. And I think when you start talking about their behavior and getting people to empathize with them, they can still have the respect like, oh, this animal is afraid of me. I should be kinder to it, but also help people connect to them like, oh, they're not just like running around like mindless machines biting and stinging every two seconds like it's doing it because it's scared because it needs to protect its family because it it needs to find food right yeah and i have read books um about talking about exactly what you're talking about and it's how like it's like we have this human centric view of the world and then like anything that is like different from us is like cannot be like us right and so i think that there's like danger in comparing um, everything to human. So it's, for instance, you were saying earlier, like, oh, well, that bug has like, this one has too many legs. And it's like, when you said that, I immediately thought it was like, in our mind, do we think like two and four legs are the the only amount of legs that like a creature can have? And is this because of our comfort with um, mammals and with our comfort with just like humans? Yeah, I've heard so many people just tell me it's like, I don't like spiders, they have too many legs. I don't like millipedes, they have too many legs. Bugs have too many legs. It's a thing that I hear. It's so strange. And it's like, going back to what you were talking about, it's like this like machine and robotic kind of sense. I've also um, thought about how like, that's why humans have such a hard time like connecting with, I mean, animals and with our insect uh, kingdoms is because it's like, we just assume that since they're not like humans from like what we know and their minds don't work like ours, then they have to be like these robotic beings that are just like powering through and just like moving in patterns and nonsensical waves. And it's like, it's, it's really frustrating to me. Um, and I'm sure to a lot of other people when we just like have this human centric mindset and it's just like everything works away from humans at the center. And, it, and, and it's like so far from that. And it's like, um, I mean, I've read that statistic that there are like more ants than there are like anything else mm -hmm. in the world. I don't know if that's true, but it's like, so the yeah. world isn't run by humans, it's run by ants. And it's like, that's just one little snippet of information that kind of like shifts things into perspective for you. But then I don't, I think I've just grown up with like my dad sitting on the front porch, just like so annoyed at the wasps, like making a home in like our uh, front porch or something. And then he just feels like, you know, it's my house and I have to like swat at them and protect us and da, da, da. And it's like, why not just try like thinking about how like they're they were here in this area in this habitat before our home was here and so they have adapted mm -hmm. to humans moving into their area so why can't we respect that and like honor that and it's not like and like we were talking about just like vilifying and like sure a hornet sting would suck would fucking hurt i get that but it's like you said it's they're not just out there hurting to hurt that's like not their motivation their motivation is just like ours, it's just to survive. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's, it also seems to be a very European minded, like, I don't know, like my house is my house and dare, dare nothing cross the threshold or <laughs> so be it. But in Ecuador, especially like in the, in the, um, like in the Quito region, it's a little bit like that as well. It's a little bit colder here, so the buildings are more closed. But when you go out into the cloud forest or you go down to the Amazon in the jungle, like houses don't really have windows. They just have open walls, if they have walls at all, depending on depending on like the community and the structure of, of them and like what the building is, obviously. But even like houses have just like huge swaths of window that is just always open. Stuff flies in all the time and it doesn't like they just don't think about it the same way we do. Like for example, um, one of my friends down on the coast, he is, um, so behind his washing machine, he had a toad and the toad just like lived there. And uh, like the shower was like slightly slanted. So when the toad got thirsty, he hopped behind from out behind the washing machine across the kitchen 
and then, you know, across the living room into the shower and like sit where all the water collected and then like hop back. And he was great. He ate the cockroaches. And my friend said that he had tried to let the toad go because like, you know, his house was a little bit on stairs. So he's like, oh, maybe the toad just got stuck here. And the toad would just hop back up the stairs and come back. So King George lives behind the washing machine and it's just like normal and fine. But I can't imagine anyone in the States, which is like, oh, yes, a wild toad. It's just like living in my house for no reason, you know. So a lot of it, I think, is also cultural. And I think part of that cultural aspect comes down to the climate. So in winter, Mm -hmm. you obviously need your house to be as closed off as possible. So that way the heat doesn't escape. But we don't have that problem in many places in Ecuador. So the houses are just naturally more open. So you're just okay with like the wildlife coming in. One of my jobs in the eco lodge was just catching the hummingbirds that flew into the room and like throwing them back out, out the window. (laughs) It was like, be free. (laughs) You're stuck here. (laughs) I feel like the closest thing that I've gotten to that toad story is um, more recently when I realized that I like had the ability to communicate with animals. Um, Somebody had asked me, well, does that also mean that you can communicate with like bugs and insects? And I was like, very interesting question i don't know because of like my disconnect to like the insect and the bug kingdoms right um but i did notice around the time that i started like really tapping into these abilities that i had like a an influx of spiders living in my apartment and then so i just kind of like looked at them and i'm like look I'm going to try and I'm going to put you back outside and then I'm going to do it all safe and I'll put you out and like, this is where you should live. And then maybe like two days later, they'd be right back to where we started. And then I was like, all right, so you can live here with me, but there are some ground rules. The bed is off limits. Okay. If we can just stay with off limits, that's fine. And then like, I feel like I set these boundaries with the spider and then maybe like a week later, there was another spider. Like, I feel like they were the exact same spider. I didn't get that close to them. I was like, Because I I already told them that they could live in my apartment. So I was respecting their corner of the house, right? I was like, all right, I'm not going to get in your space. But then there was another spider just like that one. I was like, look, dude, I said one of you could stay. I didn't say go tell your friends (laughs) that this is a warm, safe house. But also I was even thinking like, I get that the spiders want to come into my house um, because it's like, not like the harsh conditions of outside, you know, Oregon can get like really rainy. And this was like, Mm -hmm. maybe right at the beginning of winter that they were coming in, which I expect them to. Um, And at any given point, I have about 10 to 12 spider webs right outside of my apartment door. And I love them. And um, I honor them. I'm like, thank you for being here. I feel like they're like protecting my apartment or something like more like, I guess, like an esoteric way, you know, I'm like, oh, they're just like keeping the evil spirits at bay. Um, But I also was like feeling kind of bad for them because I was like, I don't think that you're going to get as much food in this one corner of my apartment if you did, if you lived outside. Like, I just don't have like little bugs flying around in here for you to catch in your web. So I was like, I don't know. So I was like, I want you to stay here if you want to. Just don't crawl on my face in the middle of the night or up my leg. And like, are you going to eat all right if you live in here? Um, Eventually, they all moved out, which I was sad about. But um yeah, I don't know. They're all gone now. I'm like, you can come back. Just respect the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Found your new spider friends. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I'm not surprised that they came back in. There's a actually a whole group of spiders. Many of the spiders that you find in your house, back in their normal habitat of outside, they would be living inside like little tree hollows or inside like little caves and stuff where they would be protected from the elements. So your house is a perfect example. And sometimes if you set some of those species outside, they actually would die because they can't handle it. Um, so I usually tell people, they're like, I've got a spider in my basement. I'm like, just, just leave it there. It's like literally not going to do anything to you. It's going to eat any pests that you may have and it's happy in your house and it's not going to move from its corner. So I'm glad that you, I don't know. That was like, that's such an amazing story that you were saying that, you know, at first you were apprehensive apprehensive of them. And then, then you were a little bit sad that they had vacated the premises. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I think, uh, my, the first place I lived, um, was in Oregon, had like a lot more tree coverage around it. Whereas now I'm like in an apartment building, mm-hmm. so there's not a lot, um, above head, but there was wolf spiders that would come in and then they mm-hmm. would just like, um, scare the shit out of me because it's like, you know, <laughs> 
they're pretty big. And um, I feel like it's almost like an act of resistance to be like super comfortable around bugs. Like it's just like, no, society will not influence me and I will be nice to this spider. Um, But the wolf spider scared the shit out of me and I had to get my roommate to come in. And I was like, there's a demon in on my bookshelf. Um, Can you get it out? And, And then she just like so calmly just put a cup over it, slid some paper under it and then took it outside. And then I think that like just watching like how calm she was doing that, I was like, okay, well I'm going to start doing this because I mean, to be honest, there was a time in my life when I was younger where it was like, there was so much fear around spiders in particular that I couldn't even Mm -hmm. get close enough to like humanely escort them from the house like there was just like this wall that I would run into where like almost my body would stop moving and then one day it just was like I think it it was part of just like my awakening process was just we're all connected we're all one thing and like also understanding I think there's a saying that like if you help a snake and it still bites you, like you're helping a snake. So there is always a chance that it could like turn around and freak out and like bite you. It's still a snake that Mm -hmm. you're helping, like helping a creature doesn't change like it's um, innate behavior. So it's like, there's a, a sure there's like a risk of getting like a weird spider bite, but like the worst spider bites I've ever had have weirded me out for a few days, maybe been a little bit itchy, but then they go away. So it's like, worst case scenario is not that big of a deal. And I think that maybe just, um, yeah. And and now it's just, like I said, I think I have like moved some spiders outside, but then like they stop coming back. And then I have accidentally like um, killed bugs trying to like humanely move them, which is like really, really made me sad because that's like the, I, I do not kill bugs. I cannot like, I just try to actively not harm anything and so when i'm like trying to save a thing and then i kill it i'm it, like devastates me so there's like a part of me now that like hesitates um but we do have things called earwigs here that f- also freak mm-hmm. me out um can you are they nancy do the earwigs want to eat me or not no <laughs> i actually love earwigs they're they're really amazing um the moms take care of the eggs and will like wrap themselves around the eggs and to protect them and sometimes some species even up until like the first instar but they okay so they have those big weird like claspery things in the back right those are called searcy and that's usually what wigs people out about the earwigs Mm -hmm. and now i'm back to like just understanding its form and function the males will sometimes use it in mating they are sometimes used in capturing prey but their main purpose actually is if you look at an earwig really closely so here's your challenge to look up a really pretty picture of an earwig but their first pair of wings are really really short like tiny like millimeters maybe but they can fly their hind wings fold up into a space that is 10 times smaller than the wing when it is expanded and it has this like natural automatic folding origami basically to help the wing like pop open when they need it but getting all those folds to fold up like an accordion again back under those really short wings is difficult if you don't have hands. So those big like um, pincers on the back really aid them. And like that long abdomen really helps them refold those wings and tuck them up. So they're protected under that short, um, it's called a tegmina, but it's like that short leathery forewing. And that's so when they're crawling under logs or they're crawling under rocks or whatever, they're not damaging their soft wings. So that's why they look like what they do, but they're not scary. They can't really bite you or anything. Now I feel bad for every time I vilified an earwig. Um, (laughs) In my defense, it came out of like a very dark crawl space that a maintenance guy like left open just a little bit. Like I saw it crawl out of like a really dark area. And then there was like this bug that I didn't know anything about. And I was like, what is this? Um, and then I just I did assume that the little like things on the back were gonna like pinch me and eat me. Um, but then there was another time I was on a walk and like I had seen somebody had left like a like a giant like big gulp cup that had some sort of blue liquid in it, and there were like earwigs all like I was gonna like just throw the cup away, and when I opened it to dump it out, there was like so many earwigs in there, and I felt bad for them. I was like, oh my god, you guys are just like soaking up all of this like shitty blue sugar. So I just like gently poured it out and then I just like tried to get the earwigs out of the cup. Um because I was like this is not a life that you want to live and also I'm gonna throw this cup away. So I don't know if you want to get smushed in like a trash compactor or anything. <laughs> but um yeah I just try to like I I just I I think 
for me, it's it's been easier to connect with anything that is alive because mm-hmm. everything has a purpose. And uh, there was a saying that it was, uh, or somebody was telling like a, a story. I don't know how uh, well known that this little saying or story is, but you think about like how long it took to create the earth. And then you think about how long it took for evolution to, to get to the point that where we are now. And then you see a spider in your, your living room and you step on it. It's like, how long did it take for that spider to like come into existence, to be into your living room? And how long did it take for you to kill it? And like, just something like that just puts it into perspective of also just why humans think that we, you know, and like you said, it is like a cultural thing. And I guess from like my experience living in the States, it's just like humans think that we are like on top of the food chain. But really, if the ants wanted to rule the world, they could easily rule the world. Right. And it's like there are fungi that like parasitize and use mind control so like why wouldn't they do that to us if we became complacent enough and i just like i don't know i mean for even for me as a person who is not as doesn't have like a master's degree and you know you have so much education behind you i just feel like is it exhausting for you to just like constantly have to like stick up for the earwigs of the world and i mean is it exhausting and do you balance that like with your passion for for what you do? Yeah, I would definitely say I balance it with my passion. Um it it can definitely sometimes be exhausting like the kill it with fire memes, especially like I just often wonder what if we had replaced insects and all of those like alien movies or like kill it with fire memes and replaced it with like dolphins. You know what I mean? It'd be like, just yeah. murder the dolphin. It got into my house. So, like it got too close to my boat. Shoot the dolphin. Like um or like oh this bird outside my room was annoying so I shot it you know like it for some reason those animals have so much of a different connotation to us but I really like that you brought up that process of evolution because that's literally how I feel people are like oh how can you love spiders and I'm like evolution through all of that process gave us opposable thumbs just like it gave spiders eight legs and fur to hear and once you kind of start looking at why do animals look the way they do and how does that affect their behavior, you can really see, again, those gears like working. And it's like, no, spiders aren't worse than us. They're not scarier than us. They are perfectly adapted to live in the environment that they do. It's just what their environment called for is different than what our environment called for. We 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 needed big brains and like big and like opposable thumbs to use tools, right? And when we could use tools, we could make fire, and when we could make fire, we could cook food and that gave it gave us bigger brains, right? So that that evolutionary process was its own. But spiders or any other insect had their own evolutionary process talking about the earwigs again like that evolutionary process of needing to protect their wings but also being needing but also needing to be able to fly in case their environment was bad or they need to find mates or whatever gave them that appearance of what they have of like those pincers that help fold the wings up and you know being able to do that really cool origami so yeah i really like to think about the process as well and just be like, no, dolphins are not better than spiders or, and we're not better than dolphins. It's just, you know, we branched out and we are at different points in our evolutionary history and that's just it. We're just different. And I think respecting and understanding that process is really important when you're trying to think about these animals in a different light. What is your, when you think about like the work that you're doing now, do you have like, um, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, like a goal that you're working towards or like, what would you like to see happen in the world in regards to like our relationship with insects and with bugs? Yeah, my goal is really simple. It's just to get as many people as possible to love insects as much as I do, or at least not squish them when they see them. And I noticed yeah. that a lot of it does come from fear from like these movies, from this media, from these like kill it with fire memes. And just like you were saying, like, oh, your roommate was really calm when she brought out that spider and it didn't seem like a big deal anymore. I've had a lot of people say that to me, too. Like, I've been so afraid of this animal, but I just watched you hold it and you're like not afraid of it and it didn't do anything. 
And I think just having someone who's calm, who can kind of combat a lot of those fears is really important. And also having people who aren't forcing it on anyone. I never force anyone to touch or pick up or even look at the animals. If I have a spider that I know generally causes fear, I'm like, hey, I have a spider in my hand. If you want, you're welcome to take a look at it. If you don't want to, I totally respect that. I can stand further back. And just meeting people halfway of where they are at, usually their curiosity gets the better of them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then, you know, they want to look at it or they, or they want to touch it. One of my favorite stories from the cloud forest was uh, there's this amblyopigid, which is uh, like a tailless whip scorpion, which if you've seen the fourth Harry Potter movie, that's the bug that Mad-Eye Moody does the curses on. If you're a Harry Potter fan, oh, <laughs> they yeah, look pretty, I pretty yeah. Yeah. So they look pretty weird and pretty, pretty scary, right? They don't make noises like they do in the movie, but they're really common here and they're really docile. You can really just pick them up, but they're big and they, they look not conventionally attractive, right? They have those big legs in the front. They look kind of spidery, but aren't, they look kind of scorpion-like, but aren't. And so I had picked one up and I was with this family. It was like two kids, mom, dad, and grandma. And I was like, does anyone want to hold it? And the kids screamed, like ran away. The, the parents kind of like, you know, like looked at it, like stretched their backs up, like craned in and kind of looked at them like, well, does anyone want to hold it? And it was like, no. And then brave old grandma was like, yeah, I'll hold it. So grandma <laughs> held it. And then everyone was like, oh, well, grandma held it. I can't not <laughs> hold it now. And so everyone held it. And then, you know, once it's in your hand, you're like, wow, why does it have these really long legs? Why does it look like this? What is it doing outside right now? What does it eat? How does it catch its food? And then when you start asking those questions, that curiosity, I think, just naturally bonds you to these organisms a little bit more than it otherwise would have. But yeah, brave old grandma totally saved the day. <laughs> Yeah, well, grandma's seen some shit in her life. So she's like, I'm not yeah, going right. to let this bug uh, intimidate me and take this experience away. She's like, put it on my hand. I've seen some shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. Brave old grandma gives zero fucks. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I, I love that because, I mean, like I said, like I don't have like a formal education, but there's one thing, one animal in particular that I feel like a, an affinity to, and that's grizzly bears. And I love telling people that grizzly bears are actually like pretty docile and like mostly pescatarian um, because mm -hmm. like in movies we have like, oh, the grizzly bear will eat your baby if you leave it alone and like destroy you. And like we've all seen that like, I mean, I that that the one scene in that movie with Leo DiCaprio and the grizzly bears attacking him like fucked me up like I couldn't watch it I thought like what's the point of yeah. this 20 minute scene I don't know it just but anyways it's like grizzly bears just eat like bugs berries um and salmon and it's mm -hmm. like they like sure they will eat like if they're like hungry enough either right before hibernation or right as soon as they come out of hibernation they will like eat some carcasses that maybe another animal hunted and then left but it's like people just like vilify grizzly bears. And so it's like, I like seeing like your perspective too, of like, you know, the smaller world of like, oh, well, this has been vilified in this movie, but look, it's on my face now. Um, so you shouldn't be scared. And old grandma picked it up. So it's not that scary, right? Um, yeah. But I guess that leads me to a question of like, what has your, your studies and like your work with insects like taught you about maybe like yourself and I guess like the world in general, which I know is a pretty loaded question, but I, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah. To believe it or not, I was actually terrified of wasps before I became an entomologist. I was one of those kids that when I was 10, didn't know what I was doing and got into like near yellow jacket territory and got stung a whole bunch of times, got chased down to the, to the house. And so I was that girl for a very long time up until my mid twenties who like, I couldn't be near anything that was bee or wasp like, and I like, I wouldn't kill it, but I would definitely vacate the space very quickly. Even if it was something that couldn't hurt me, I just didn't know and one thing hurt me once and I'm not going to take a chance. So what really helped me in grad school was just learning about the diversity of these animals and how many there are and really just learning about their behavior. Once I learned that, like, it's kind of like one of those things when you, when you study something, 
you then see it everywhere, right? I studied birds and like was noticing birds all over the place. I hadn't noticed birds before. And then when I started studying bugs, I noticed bugs in all these places I hadn't noticed them before. And it made me more aware of where I was in relation to nature and in relation to where insects were making their home, including wasps. And I had signs to look for. And then just starting to understand their behavior and understand them, I knew when I was too close, I knew when I should back up, and I knew that they weren't just going to sting me for no reason. And that, yeah, that transformation, I think that's one of the biggest transformations that I noticed after I started studying studying entomology was like that transformation myself of being that person who was terrified and wouldn't go near them to understanding their behavior and then becoming less scared. That's probably the biggest one. (laughs) Yeah. It really is amazing that what a little bit of education on a certain topic does to dissolve fear around Mm -hmm. it. And especially when it comes to, to insects and bugs and just animals in general and just the natural world, because as humans, we have just become like so separate from the world in which we came from. Um, And that, you know, that's from anything from like the industrial revolution to just like uh, Christianity being like a a world religion, you know, for colonizers, Mm -hmm. especially. Right. Um, I guess another question I had is what do you think that the insect kingdom and like bugs in general would want to teach us about like the way that the world works? Like if you could just like, um, have a tiny little microphone and interview one of your favorite insects or just one of your most um, like uh, one of the bugs or insects that like helps the most towards conservation or anything like that. But what would you think that they would like want us to know? Um, there's probably two that I would just kind of off the bat want to talk about is like flies would be one because a lot of people are like, ew, flies are so gross, blah, 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 which is true. Like you do see them on rotting material and dog poop and stuff. But it's like, why? They provide such an important ecosystem service. So we always talk about bees and pollination, but like the trash collectors of the world are way important as well. Because what happens if your grizzly bear doesn't eat your deer carcass all the way? Like that would just pile up eventually. So you need, you need a whole system to decompose everything like you need for um you need insects ants do this really well to turn over soil you need uh decomposers like flies to break down the soupy grossy gross like liquidy part of decomposition which is not like uh (laughs) which is not particularly romantic but is important and then you need things like beetles that can take uh that can take and like chew through all the hard stuff like tendons or rotting plant material and we need them. We need them so much. And we don't realize that like the garbage men of the world are doing one of the biggest ecosystem services or else we would just like literally be under a pile of crap. Like for example, in Australia, when they brought the cows over, the dung beetles that were used to take like cleaning up kangaroo poop did wanted nothing to do with cow poop. And like piles and piles and piles of cow poop that that they couldn't get rid of was starting to become a problem. So they had to bring over dung beetles to clean up the poop from the cows. And that's such an important aspect that I think we don't necessarily talk about. And then also with caterpillars, um, we have so many caterpillars that are specialized to very specific plants. You'll hear people be like, why are these hornworms on my tomatoes? Why are, you know, this specific caterpillar eating all of my maples, et cetera? And that's also really important in the ecosystem because if you didn't have these really specific herbivores, then you would have certain plant species that just get out of control because your generalized herbivores like deer can only do so much. They'll eat whatever can fit into their face. But to really keep an ecosystem in control, you need not just kind of generalized big grazers, but you also need really specific insects that are you know, like, I'm here to eat this particular group of plants to make sure they don't get out of control, which is why sometimes invasive plant species are so difficult to take care of because we can't find diseases or we can't bring over or haven't yet found a specific species that can control it very easily. So I think those two are, are really kind of underappreciated, the decomposers of the world and also these organisms that keep very specific plants from going out of control are also 
that have like forgotten in the ecosystem services part of part of the discussions. Yeah, I had a um, a friend on that I interviewed and we talked about how like fungus has been vilified because it is like mm-hmm. the decomposer of an ecosystem. And I think that we tied it back into um, us collectively being uncomfortable, at least in like the American culture of like talking about death and how mm-hmm. things do decompose. And it is just like a part of, I mean, out in the natural world with animals and, and insects, it's like they don't they're not shy around death. It is just a part of their daily life. It is just something that they have to accept in order to survive. And like really humans, it it is the same way, but it's like, I think that kind of um, religion has kind of like muddied the, the, the understanding of what is death. And so then we start to, like you said, like vilify flies that eat poop or like the soupy decomposing liquids that, that happen with death. And it's like the same with like fungus. And it's just so interesting how we start to, to vilify these like necessary components of life itself. Um, it's really unfortunate. I think it's because they are the necessary part of the, of life that we don't like, you know, we don't want to think about death. So we don't want to see flies and we don't want to see fungus. But I think as you were mentioning with religion, that it's really separated us like, Oh, we're going to live forever, preserve the body forever. And that's, that's very unnatural. I want to be a tree. <laughs> it's like, I don't pack me up, put a seed with me and bury me in the ground. I guess it's my plan. Yeah. Yeah. I told my parents, I was like, um, I don't know if I die before you guys do just like dig a hole and bury me in the ground naked. And like, yeah. I don't really come from a religious background. So they didn't like shudder at the thought of that. But I think they were like, Ashley, seriously, I was like, don't put me in a fucking like box, you know, and especially because mm-hmm. I do feel so connected to the earth. And like, I think just the first time I heard like energy cannot be created or destroyed. I was like, okay, so if I am made of energy, my energy will kind of always stay in a plane where there is energy. Okay. So that's the earth that is like this, um, this galaxy, whatever. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just like go back to the earth. And then now, like, now I know that I'll have little buggies like eating me and then they'll Mm -hmm. eat me. They'll they'll decompose, they'll do their job and then it'll help them to survive. And it's just like this ongoing like cycle. And it is, it is just really interesting about how like humans just want to be so separate from that. And it is like that scary thing. And yeah, it it just really is unfortunate, but I really uh, am just grateful for people like you who are making something that is so um, uh, inaccessible to so many different people, um, especially just in like modern education, because I don't remember learning that much about bugs like in, um, you know, K through 12. It really was not a big part of like the sciences and like the way that the world works. And so like to have somebody like you that is just so passionate and that like makes learning about like bugs and insects and just like ecosystems accessible and makes it fun you know it's like even in like a time like the pandemic you're still finding a way to educate people and it's so important to have people like you especially outside of like the academia world that are like okay well this is how humans learn and this is what like lights them up so if you can focus on what lights them up and then just like put in things that like maybe might scare them it just like balances it out in the brain like oh this is exciting and it's intimidating but like can I like work through these fears and it and and I just think it's like a really beautiful thing and I really feel like really lit up just having this conversation with you and it's like I would love to come to Ecuador and I like I would fully just from having this like hour-long conversation with you I already know that I would trust you to walk into in in an area I've never been before and pick up some like slimy thing and you know hey maybe even put it on my face and then we can take a picture together of Ashley having some bug on her face and it's like yes and then who knows maybe like I can communicate with them and maybe it's some really simple shit and I just it just feels like really humbling having this conversation with you of like yeah I mean humans are not the center of the world I, I already knew that but it's still it's just nice to have that reminder because there's been also so much programming in my life that like I have been led to believe that it's like a human's world and every everything else is just living in it but it's just really it's been really great to just like be talking to you and just to have these reminders and to be humbled by your education and what you do so thank you so much for this conversation thank you so much as well and thank you so much for your for your really kind words I really really do appreciate it and just like knowing that you would come to Ecuador and that you would trust me, a stranger, to make sure you had a good time and that you were also safe really, really does mean the world to me. So thank you so much as well. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, your energy is contagious just from like <laughs> watching your videos. And then um, I did hear uh, one interview of yours. I think it was on Animals at Home, which is like that reptile mm-hmm. podcast. Um, yeah, that was so funny. That was, he was so great. I like right after hearing that interview with you, I was like, wait, insects are cool. And it was just like <laughs> automatically I felt that. And so like, I just like, I'm so excited to share this with the people that listen to my podcast. And like, I hope that it opens them up because uh, the community that I'm a part of, we talk a lot about like collective consciousness and ascension and like our role as humans to be better humans. And I wanted to talk about, well, what about like, um, how can animals inspire us to be just better beings on the earth and how can we just all be like neighbors with each other and then like taking that like one step deeper with you and it's like okay well what can insects teach us and how can we just like be better to all beings on the earth and if like if this podcast does nothing else I would just like to inspire people to just have those thoughts and so like again thank you so much for coming on um and where can people find you if they wanted to connect with you yeah, so I have a website. It's uh, cybugs.info, S-C-I-B-U-G-S.info. Um, but it's and there's like a contact form on there that you could that you could find me on, or you could just literally look up cybugs on Google, and I show up on just about every platform known to man, except for TikTok. I have not gotten into the TikTok. <laughs> I don't know if you need to. I mean, maybe to like Gen Z. Maybe you could connect with Gen Z with the Facebook, <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, so you do like the YouTube videos. I've watched a few of those. Um, they're really fun. Uh, you have a, obviously Thank you have you. a great personality. So if you guys are interested at all in learning about insects or bugs, please reach out to Nancy. Um, she's full of great information, as you can tell. So Nancy, <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. I would love to have you on again. And then maybe next time, like now that I've gotten all my bug excitement out, we can like hone in on some like specific shit. But I would love to have you on again in the future. Yeah, sure. Anytime, just reach out. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.